0: You're listening to The Collective Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. Father, I pray that there that would rain scales today. <laughs> it would rain scales from our hearts. So much to say, so help me God. <laughs> Sean started my sermon for me last week when he was honoring um, Robin Kirsty. He said uh, he quoted someone saying the gate of heaven is everywhere, and um, and then he said something else, which just slipped my mind for a second. He said a Christian is someone who sees Christ in everything. Is that is that the quote? Um, so if you have any questions about that quote, you can just speak to Sean directly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big statement. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of of life. Now, when we hold a light up, light is not the thing that we find ourselves staring at. It actually kind of hurts our eyes. Um, <clears throat> light is something which, by which we see everything else. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not live or walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He has come. To give us eyes to see everything differently, in a new and a living way. (coughs) Hebrews calls him a new and living way. Um, So that's going to be the theme of what I I say now. Um, I'm going to come back to that point, but I want to just start by going back a little bit um, to before time began, just a little bit. (laughs) Before the foundation of the world. Um, So much of how we know God is in a sin and salvation story. And it's a beautiful story of redemption, of um, salvation, of of a restoration of relationship. But the question is, is Jesus plan A or is Jesus plan B? A lot of the way we tell the story is Jesus' plan B. He kind of comes and fixes the mess and, um, you know, brings us back to the Father. And that is, that is part of the story. But um, I'm probably going to answer the question for you relatively quickly. But um, I want to read from Ephesians 1. and this is, to, this is to answer the question, is Jesus plan A or plan B? Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us, his Father chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, in love. (laughs) He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Um, The message translation says, long before he laid down earth's earth's foundations, he had us in mind. See, this is pre-mistakes. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving, by the hand of his beloved son. Okay, you're going to have to repeat something after me. I am not the exemption to the rule. (laughs) Say it. I am not the exemption to the rule. God loves everyone, but me I'm not so sure about. Um, Yeah, long, long ago he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is plan A. This was, the, this was the dream, that through Jesus, we would find ourselves included in this relationship known as the Trinity. But of course, there's a twist in the story, isn't there? A bit of blindness here, a bit of darkness there, and next thing we know, We have no idea who God is anymore. And when we lose sight of our father, what's the natural thing that happens after that? We lose sight of who we really are. Because when you lose the knowledge or the sight of your father, you lose your identity. Forget where you came from. And now there's another twist in the story, a good twist. Plan A arrives. Let's call him Plan A. Our superhero for today, Plan A, Jesus arrives, and he has come to give us his eyes and his ears. A year ago, this is where the the tears start, so bear with me. That's the only way to live. A year ago, we were photographing a wedding, and um, the groom has, has a brother, and the brother has Down syndrome, and the brother is deaf. Um, after the first dance, the, uh, everyone piles onto the dance floor and starts dancing and I see this brother on the dance floor trying to dance and I hear a voice within me, a crying voice like mine right now saying, but he can't hear the music, but he can't hear the music. And it wrecked me. It really, it, it broke my heart. And when you see someone trying to dance, that can't hear the music. And that's the twist in the story. We stop being able to hear the music. We forgot our father. We find ourselves in the darkness. <clears throat> but Jesus has come to give us his ears to hear the music so we can join in the great dance known as the Trinity. Trinity is probably best described as a great dance of Father, Son and Spirit in a circle where there's mutual love, there's mutual adoration, where everyone looks at each other face to face and there's just not a hint of shame or guilt, it's just pure love overflowing expression, adoration, worship. Um, It's so close that maybe the best way to describe it would be with the word one. And when we've, we've lost sight of our Father, but in Jesus Christ, Jesus comes and brothers us. One theologian said he has brothered the human race. And in him we see our Father again. And He comes and He brothers us. And we hear Him say His Father's name in our darkness. And suddenly our eyes are open and we're able to see again who our Father is, where we've forgotten and been blinded. That's why in Hebrews 2, it says, For both the one who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. (laughs) He says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. That's in the Bible. I will sing your praises in the assembly. You see, Jesus has come as our brother. And he has spoken his father's name to us. He is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed of me. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's like a Joseph who gets abandoned, rejected by his brothers, left for dead. Then he rises again with forgiveness and restoration. And then we find ourselves seated at the table with him. And our father. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Thank the Lord for that drive from Hazyview today. (laughs) So in Christ, our eyes are opened again to see who our father is. And in doing so, the automatic thing that happens is we are re-identified. Jesus unmasks God. Sean prayed this earlier, um, and it's it's here in in my notes. Jesus unmasks God. You can see when you're... Imagine someone running to you, shouting your name. If you, have a, if you have an idea of that person as an angry person, um, you're going to run for cover when that person comes sprinting to you with their robes pulled up, shouting your name. Not all the way. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> but if that person, you know that they love you and that they are good, when someone comes running your way, you will know that whatever it is that they're running towards you for, it's, it's for your good. So you can imagine that, that, that younger brother that comes home when the father comes running after him. He probably has some initial reactions of he's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> he's been waiting a long time for me to come back in my rags and he is going to kill me. And he falls on his neck and the son's not even able to finish his prepared speech. He's prepared a speech because he's, he's forgotten who his father is. See, in Jesus Christ, we're reintroduced to our Father. The mask gets taken off the Father's face. And the Father doesn't even let us finish our speech. The one line that he forgets is that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Because the Father's smothering already and kisses and fallen on his neck and started restoring him. Um, <clears throat> So the good news, the gospel, is that God is like Jesus. <laughs> we cannot afford to keep the masks on God that we have put on him. We cannot afford to take Jesus and place him into our predetermined ideas of who God is. It's to take Jesus and totally belittle him and try to shrink him into our world and our understanding and our mindset. And Jesus has come to make all things new. He has come to open our eyes. In him, you cannot get a clearer picture of who God is. Um, Hebrews 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The Sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. Um, in the past, we what we have is snippets. We have fragments. One translation says, the Passion of thing says we've got fragments. Other ones say we've got we've got portions of truth. Snippets of of, of a vision of who God is, which came through the prophets. But he has spoken to us a final word in his son. Jesus is the logos, the logic of God unveiled. John 1 says the word became flesh and blood. It's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John pointed him out and called, this is the one, the one I told you was coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. He's always been ahead of me. He's always had the first word. We all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses, which was an external kind of way of living. But this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus, the Messiah. See, it becomes an internal reality, a knowledge in Jesus. Then John says a line which is scandalous. No one has ever seen God. (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) No one has ever seen God. He's just mentioned Moses, the man who was on the Mount Sinai, face to face with God. No one has ever seen God. Not so much as a glimpse. John's trumping Hebrews now. This one of a kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. What a scandal. This one of a kind God expression who exists at the very heart of God, or other translations would say, This only begotten who's come from the bosom of the Father has has, has brought him out, has made him known. The message has made him as plain as day. So, you see, there's no, there's no better picture of God than we have in, in Christ. <clears throat> I'm reading a fair amount of scripture, but um, there's a podcast, so you can always re listen. Colossians 1, he said, we, Paul says, We look at this Son, and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this Son, and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. When it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning in leading the resurrection parade, He is supreme in the end. That's a good parade to be a part of. (laughs) From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms... Atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Isn't that a beautiful picture? <clears throat> Paul, oh, I'm going to get to Paul now. What a guy. <laughs> um, but I love, that, I love that line that, that um, everything gets properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. In other words... In Christ, we start to hear the music again. And in hearing the music, we find there's connection. We find a narrative, a story, which is bigger than ourselves, that we are now part of something that's bigger than ourselves. It's called being in Christ. We live in an eye-centered day and age where we think we can find our identity by ourselves. We cannot be ourselves by ourselves. We cannot find our identity by ourselves. We need to hear somebody call our name. And in doing so, we're identified. I'm going to get to Mary as well, Lord willing. Mary, not Jesus' mom, but the other one. Um, I, me, myself... My growth, my salvation, my security, my well-being, my development, iPad, iWatch, <laughs> iMac, an iPhone, right? <clears throat> it's what sells because we think that in our quest for our individualism that we're truly finding ourselves. And in Christ we find ourselves part of a great dance. We find ourselves part of a community called God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in that circle of fellowship, we are truly alive. Creation is not waiting in eager expectation for driven orphans to rise up with a mission to change the world. The orphan heart hears the call to change the world as an invitation to prove their worth and value. It does whatever it takes to feel noticed, to feel successful, to feel valued. It finds identity in accomplishment. We're sad when we, I'm a wedding photographer, so I'm speaking wedding photography stories because God speaks to us in everything, right? <laughs> so it, makes, it saddens us when we hear a father stand up and make a speech for his daughter who's getting married, and all he speaks about is his daughter's accomplishments, and that's why he's proud of her. It's like, a, it's like two business partners at a year-end function or something it saddens us. It's the orphan spirit, it's the orphan heart which is speaking, is that you and I find our value in our accomplishments. So you can understand that the orphan heart that hears the call to rise up and change the world for Jesus, it's just a veiled quest for significance and to be noticed. Creation is eagerly anticipating, craning their necks on the edge of their seat, waiting for sons and daughters to be revealed or unveiled. Because sons and daughters who know who they are just by their being, beauty just awakens around us. Creations like, yes, <laughs> we know we're beautiful. We're just waiting for you to wake up, to smell the roses, to see Jesus, to find yourselves in Him. C.S. Lewis likens creation, you know, the six days of creation, to a song in, in Narnia, and um, if it's, you know, you picture this the start, this sound the father the son and spirit let you know starting to create and speaking and singing it out and suddenly water is formed and 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 you know sun and land and they call forth the animals from the from the substance that the, that's created they call forth from the water you know bring forth your your creatures or what do they call them sea monsters in genesis i think but um, and, and so this song, and this song begins to grow and crescendo, and now what's created starts to join in in this song. And then on the sixth day, um, this song is, is, is growing to a grand crescendo, a grand finale, where God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And all of creation is, boom, involved. Yes, let's do this, let's do this. And... Um, you know, if you see it as a song, and then you see this verse which, which says that creation's just anticipating our unveiling as the sons of God, just eagerly waiting. It's like when we wake up, when we are revealed, it's like the song starts to pick up around us louder and louder, and then another sees, and then another joins the dance, and another finds himself in him, and it's like the volume starts increasing, and this this crescendo starts happening around us, and we just find ourselves in this space and we find our neighbor in this space and we find the trees in this space and we find all of creation in this space and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and that's what's happening thanks to our big bro jesus (laughs) um how are we doing here pretty good I'm on page four of 38. <laughs> I want to speak about something that we often, that maybe we don't think about is, um, Jesus is, um, okay, let's, let, uh, what I love in the scriptures is, the, is seeing the humanity of, of, of people. And no one is more human than Peter. <laughs> Peter has to be told everything three times. He is a stubborn ox. Um, And uh, you'll notice in the scriptures that after Jesus' resurrection, people don't recognize him. Have you ever seen that? He's raised from, from the dead. People literally do not recognize Jesus. It is weird. It's like... I've known Rob for years. I mean, these guys, but I haven't seen him every day. But I mean, if I saw him in three days' time after he died, I'd probably recognize him. I mean, you know. But the Scripture points out very clearly that Jesus came in a different form on the road to Emmaus. It says he appeared to them in a different form, and this is significant. I wrestled with this for a while um, because I just couldn't figure out what what's the point here, but. Do you remember um, you got we, we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. you walk with this God man Jesus for three years, probably daily. <clears throat> you know him well. You know what the back of his head looks like? <laughs> Dom said to me, today I've seen the back of your head. <laughs> said it was lush, wasn't it? it was you know, because you followed him. you followed him everywhere. You've watched him. You've admired him. You've, you've been in total awe of him. And then he just abandons you. It's clear that it was better that he goes. Everyone remember he said that? It's better that I leave. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Um, so in John 14, Jesus says, in John 14... Um, Earlier on, he says, I am in my Father and my Father is in me. And we look, at, we look at Jesus. I'm sure the disciples look at Jesus and they say, wow, you know, that is special. You're the Son of God. The relationship with you have with your, with your Father is just amazing. The miracles you do, the things you say, they're wise and they're, you speak with authority and you cast out demons, you heal the sick. I mean, you can admire Jesus when you see him in that light. Um, imagine following him for three years like that and suddenly he's gone um, and then when he comes kind of when he reappears you don't actually recognize him. it's pretty tough it's a tough it's a tough little leg of the journey for these guys um, so in John 14 we can admire Jesus and and relationship with his father i am in my father my father is in me and that's it's, it's wonderful but you know what we can do with that is we can say that's so good for you jesus like that is amazing we worship you and unfortunately that's not what jesus came to to do was to leave us in that place of just admiring him from a distance Because later, a few verses later, after he tells us he's going to send us the Spirit, he's not going to leave us as orphans, he's going to come to us. Then he says, and on that day, when he sends the Spirit, you will know that I am in my Father, that you are in me, and that I am in you. So now we find ourselves included in this conversation. And now it's like, Mm. I can no longer speak about you and your relationship with your father while excluding myself. Because he has brothered us and reminded us of who our father is and he has brought us home. So we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of this conversation But you understand that it could be a difficult transition for the disciples to go from Jesus in a physical body that you you kind of see and you walk around and you follow, to suddenly Jesus, where are you? Like, I can't see you with my physical eyes. But it's a transition that needs to happen for for the whole world. Um, So let's take Mary. So remember Jesus is raised... And then Mary's in the garden. She sees the empty tomb, and she is she's gutted. I mean, tomb's empty; they've taken away. Runs back to the disciples. They've taken the Lord's body. I don't know where they've laid him. She comes back to the garden, and Jesus is there. Um, and he asks her. So she turns around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asks her, "Woman, why are you crying?" Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener he is. <laughs> she said, "Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him." Jesus says to her, "Mary."." <laughs> and she turns to word him. She repents. <laughs> And she cries out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And then Jesus says something so profound. He says, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. He says, But go and tell my brothers, brothers, that I am going to my father and your father, to my God. And your God. (laughs) Oh, you cannot, we cannot exclude ourselves from this conversation. We find ourselves between the lips of the Word and the ear of the Father. (laughs) Robert Capone says, he's so cheeky enough to say, we're the pillow talk of the Trinity. But he's speaking about trinity in this intimate love relationship and we're birthed from that place. Between the word, the lips of the word and the ear of the Father. That's where we're hanging in that space. And Mary goes back to the disciples. She is the first apostle. She says, I have seen the Lord. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> um Peter, he had to have a a vision where that pig in a blanket came down from heaven. Remember? (laughs) Jesus says, If I said it's clean, it's clean. (laughs) And Peter realized the Gentiles are in. Oh man, this thing just got real. Don't you dare, Peter, don't you dare call any person common. unclean who i have declared clean paul he had the most radical transition of the bunch so qualified by everything external hebrew of hebrews circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of benjamin Um, according to the righteousness of the law he says he was faultless and there he is Clothes lined by the invisible arm of Jesus. And in those three days that he was blinded. You see what Jesus, what Jesus did to Paul is he blinded these eyes, because by by Paul's Paul's everything was according to these eyes. And in Galatians 1, Paul says, God set me apart from my mother's womb and unveiled his son within me read it in Galatians 1.15 that I might preach him in the nations but what what is Jesus doing? he's setting Paul he's pulling him away from everything that he knows All from my mother's womb I'm from the tribe of Benjamin I am the man I've got it all together. I've got the monopoly on God. Like, you know. And he, and he blinds his, his natural eyes in order that Paul would learn to see with the eyes of the heart. That Paul would hear the music. <laughs> Jesus' passion is this. You're in a game reserve. There's nine of you in the vehicle. Seven people see the leopard. Within three seconds, all seven people's mission is to what? Get the other two to see what they've seen. Okay, you see there the big branch coming out on the left? Come down one meter to the right. There's a knot in the tree just to the right of that. See that little thing that hooks down with spots on it? It's a leopard's tail. Oh, there it is! I see it! I see it! That's the gospel. Jesus come to give us his eyes to see what he sees. And sometimes he has to take a Paul and blind him to give him such a vision, such a vision that he could even t- t- oppose Peter to his face. Peter walked with the physical Jesus. Peter could have said, Excuse me, buddy. <laughs> Paul says, If you hear another gospel, even from an angel, don't even believe it. <laughs> Gee, that's bold. Said it in Galatians. Said some cheeky stuff in Galatians. Um, Paul Paul had such a radical transition. He saw from the eyes of the heart. And he comes out of that space and he communicates in a severely large way. And the scales falling from his eyes is just, it's a picture of what's happened in the heart. So let it rain scales in our hearts today. (laughs) And he ends up saying statements such as, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, all you barbarians, amen, Scythian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ." He says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. He says that every, pre- every creature under heaven has heard the gospel. Colossians 1.23. And then, of course I'm running out of time, but that's normal. Um. I don't think it's an accident that he ends up writing most of the New Testament because he's been so possessed by this vision. Whereas I think other guys, other disciples, some of them battle to really move into this space because you're probably still holding on so much to Jesus in one place in one time. And I think we all find ourselves in that place sometimes where It's the I, it's the me, it's I invited Jesus into my life and I did this and I did that and I did this and now that's why, whatever. And Paul says, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are some things. (laughs) You see, he's possessed by a vision and he realizes, he says, our lives are not our own. Your life is not your own. Your body, it's the sacred shrine of the Holy Spirit, he says. Okay, I'm going to zip through. I've got two minutes to change your life. (laughs) Paul says, it started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ. All bright and beautiful. If you only look at us, you might Well, miss the brightness. (laughs) Paul's saying, I'm nothing special. We carry this message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. So the question is, does God need us somewhere else? Does God need somebody else? Does God, does he need us in another place in another time? Or is the will of God that the earth looks like heaven? Because if he just wants to get us to heaven, why even make the earth in the first place? You see, if you were to look at the hands of Jesus, you would see the hands of a masterful creator. You would see the hands of an illegitimate baby. Then you would see the hands of a carpenter, calloused and rough, who worked in his father's business until he was about 30 just living an ordinary life with a little extra sauce on top, I think. As in, he's fully human. You'll see these hands of a carpenter who has sanctified the common life. Then you would see the hands of a healer and a restorer, one who touches the lepers when he doesn't need to and brings healing. Then you'll see the hands... With scars from the nails of the crucified God, who knows what it is to suffer, who knows what it is to be betrayed by his own, murdered at the hands of men, and who rises with forgiveness and restoration and healing. He says, Sacrifice an offering you have not desired, but a body. <laughs> a body you have prepared for me. Think about that. (laughs) Colossians, in him the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. <laughs> Two minutes. <laughs> Some practical... So Paul... So he writes to us... Sorry, I'm a man possessed, okay? He says in Corinthians, he's talking to slaves and masters, and he says this, stay where you were when God, when God called your name. Stay where you were when God, when God called... When God called your name, were you a slave? Slavery is no roadblock to obeying and believing. I don't mean you're stuck and can't leave. If you have a chance at freedom, go ahead and take it. I'm simply trying to point out that under your new master, you're going to experience a marvelous freedom you would never have dreamed of. On the other hand, if you were free when Christ called you, you will experience a delightful enslavement to God. you would have never dreamed of. All of you, slave and free, both, were once held hostage in a sinful society. Then a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. So please don't, out of old habits, slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. Stay where you were called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. Paul is saying that your entire world can be transformed with nothing changing externally. If you're a slave, you'll experience a glorious freedom. And as a free man, you'll experience a glorious slave. When the eyes of our hearts are opened, and when we see Jesus as all in all, it has the power to transform our mundane into something magnificent without anything changing. How are you doing? Oh, same beep, different day. So what's the difference? Is that the eyes of the heart are opened. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You're going to see everything differently. It's almost as if all things become new. Okay, and I'm going to finish with this. So this changes the language from... Living for God to living with God. From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. Jesus said, what you did to the least of these, you did it to me. It's not like you did it, you can't, it was like you did it to me. No, you did it to me. I want to tell you a quick story of a French mystic named Madame Gouillon. Did I say it right? <laughs> you know her. Friend. No, 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 not a friend. <laughs> You're way too young for that. <laughs> um, she was a French mystic accused of heresy. She was accused of quietism, which is, I don't know, probably just being quiet, right? Um, the Roman Catholic Church labeled her a heretic when she wrote a book called um, A Short and Very Easy Method of Prayer. I'm sure we would all like that book now. (laughs) They imprison her. Um, In September 1698, um, she was transferred. They transferred the 50-year-old Madame Guyon, we're going to call her MG from now on, and her maid servant to the Bastille in Paris where political prisoners were kept under the most outrageous conditions. Like all Parisians, they must have looked with awe upon this imposing four-story gray stone prison fortress. Many times, um, they had passed by it previously. The great and dreaded Bastille, with its twelve-foot thick stone walls and eighty-foot-high towers, would have taken an even larger dim- uh, would have taken on even larger dimensions now as they were herded inside to stay. I mean, that's a that's a bad sentence for someone who just wrote a simple book on prayer. At the base of each tower was um, a below-ground dungeon cell, which was almost totally dark and poorly ventilated by one small window, which was open to the weather in all seasons. The three-inch thick oak plank doors were equipped with locks and heavy iron bars. One cannot imagine how cold and damp such a place would be during the cruel winter weather without any heat. Madame G was weak, sick, and exhausted as she was led to her cell. She found her straw pallet on the floor in the dark and lay down to try sleep. It was miserable. Repulsive noises in the corridor kept her awake as she tossed restlessly through the night with bedbugs, lice, and rats as her companions. There were no sanitary facilities. The water polluted, the food putrid, and many prisoners died of fever, nausea, and other terrible things. Even when they were sick, they were left to their own devices to lie in the filth Unattended for weeks on end, live or die, there was no one who cared. Um, the food was buckets with moldy bread and cabbage and cold chunks of meat. Um, sometimes they had—you can imagine. Um, eventually, her companion died of terrible de- um, deprivation, and um, and she ended up in solitary confinement. Okay, I just wanted to paint the picture of what this is like. This isn't a peachy prison, and it was in the lonely cell, uh, the lonely setting of solitary confinement um, for four years that she wrote poetry. <laughs> I'm starting to smell Jesus, yeah. certainly Paul and Silas, but and she wrote a she wrote a po- poem called "Prison Walls," and this is the poem. Strong are the walls around me that hold me all the day, but they who thus have bound me cannot keep God away. My very dungeon walls are dear because the God I love is here. They know who thus oppress me, tis hard to be alone, but know. Not one can bless me who comes through bars and stone. (laughs) He makes my dungeon's darkness bright and fills my bosom with delight. Thy love, O God, restores me from sighs and tears to praise. And deep my soul adores thee, nor thinks of time or place. I ask no more In good or ill, but union with thy holy will. Tis that which makes my treasure, Tis that which brings me gain, Converting woe to pleasure, And reaping joy from pain. Oh, tis enough, whatever befall, To know that God is all in all. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za.